This morning, we, as believers in Christ, are gathered, as we do every Lord's Day, we gather every first day of the week. But specifically this morning, we remember the most significant event in the history of the human race, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this is the central event even in all of Scripture. This was prophesied by the Old Testament prophets as they look forward to the coming of Christ and to the way of salvation through him and through his death and resurrection. We see it, for instance, in passages like Isaiah 53, 10 through 12, where he says, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Isaiah was looking ahead to the resurrection of Christ, that though he would be put to death for iniquities, nevertheless he would be raised again, that God the Father would allot him a portion with the great. And we see it foretold even in the words of our psalm that we sang this morning, Psalm 16, verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. And so when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, this is the passage he went to, Psalm 16, as a text that was pointing forward to the, to the resurrection of Christ, that God the Father would not allow His Holy One to undergo decay. He died and was buried, but His body did not decay because He was raised from the grave. We find the resurrection portrayed symbolically in types, such as Jonah. We heard from Jonah chapter 1 earlier this morning, and Christ Himself picks up on this by alluding to Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, in Matthew twelve forty. When he says that just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monsters, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And as we heard even in our call to worship in Hosea chapter 6, we find this, this reference to the third day, that we as God's people are raised up on the third day. Why are we raised up on the third day? But because Christ himself, our Lord, was raised up on the third day. And not only was this prophesied by the Old Testament prophets beforehand, this is what is proclaimed to us as historical fact in the gospel, that Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, and then the third day he rose from the grave. The resurrection of Jesus is absolutely essential to the Christian faith. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, there would be, as the saying goes, nothing to see here. Might as well just, just keep going, look for something else. If it were not for the resurrection, Jesus would be just another man who said some things that some people liked, some people hate, some people followed him, some people didn't follow him. Big deal. But the good news that we remember and celebrate this morning is that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, that he appeared to witnesses, as we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in our unison reading. And praise God, those witnesses did their job. They handed down to us their true eyewitness testimony that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. This means that we must believe and trust and obey what Jesus has taught. His resurrection confirms to us that he is who he said he was. It was in the resurrection, as we find in Romans 1.4, that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God 
with power. And his resurrection also has practical significance for us, as we'll see in our text for this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1. Now this morning, in looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, we'll be looking not so much at the historical fact of the resurrection, but at the fruit of that historical fact in our lives as believers. So let's look to the text. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Peter writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, in this text, we find Peter blessing God for his great mercies towards us. God is certainly blessed in himself, and no one of us can increase his blessedness. But what Peter here is is doing is giving all glory to God for the grace of salvation through Jesus Christ and is expressing his thanks to God. So he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ is both God and man, and inasmuch as he is man, God the Father is his God. As the incarnate Son of God, Christ submitted himself to the will of God the Father. He always did the will of the Father, going so far as to say in Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. God the Father was his God. And as our Lord Jesus Christ is God, God the Father is his eternal Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ is his eternal son. This is by means of what the theologians call eternal generation, in which the Father from eternity has generated the person of the Son by communicating to him his entire divine essence. So that, as we say in the Creed, the Son is God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. And so Peter here blesses the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for his great mercy. His great compassion and pity that he had upon us. In that mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, the resurrection of Christ is the way in which we are born again to a living hope. This means that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the way by which life is communicated to us and that the resurrection of Jesus also is the basis for the living hope that we have as believers. Now, let's, let's try to, to flesh this out a little bit this morning. First, let's consider how the resurrection of Christ is related to our new birth as believers, how we have been born again to this living hope. And then let's consider how the resurrection of Christ is the source of our hope. What's the connection between the resurrection of Jesus and this living hope that is ours? And then we'll try to look at some some of the implications that flow there in verses 4 and 5 as well. And so then, first of all, how is Christ's resurrection related to our new birth? Well, to answer that question, we need to take a step back and ask and answer another question. What is the new birth? What does it mean to be born again? This was the question that Jesus and Nicodemus had discussed back in John chapter 3. Jesus said that unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
And Nicodemus, of course, did not understand what Jesus meant by that and was wondering, wondering out loud how a man could enter into his mother again to be born when he is old. And then Jesus reiterated the same thing in different words. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. To be born again is to be born of the Spirit. To be born of water is to be born of the Spirit. Water being a symbol of the Spirit. And in teaching this, Jesus is not teaching anything new. The prophets of old had spoken about this renewal by the Holy Spirit. Interestingly enough, the Lord had spoken through the prophet Ezekiel in such a way as to combine the image of water with the renewal of the heart and the giving of the Holy Spirit. And so we find in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27, the Lord says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinance. This is why Jesus had said to Nicodemus that he should not be amazed at the teaching that he must be born again. This is vintage Old Testament teaching here. If Nicodemus had actually understood the Old Testament, which he probably knew quite well, if he'd actually understood it, he would, have, he would have known this. He would have known that you had to be born again, that you had to have the Holy Spirit do a work in your heart, this work that is symbolized by the pouring of water, the, the cleansing that comes. And so this is what it is to be born again. To be born again is to be given a new heart by the working of the Holy Spirit, to have a heart of stone taken from us and to be given a new heart, a heart of flesh, It is to be changed from being dead in sin and therefore dead to God to being made alive to spiritual things, alive to God. To be born again is to be given the gift of saving faith by which we trust in Christ. This is what it is to be born again. And Peter says here that we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the resurrection of Christ is the way in which the mercy of God is brought to us so that we might be born again. Now, the doctrine of the resurrection is, as we might say, the crown of all Christian doctrines. The plan of salvation is woefully incomplete, woefully lacking without the resurrection. If Christ had not been raised, as we find in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, our faith is worthless, we're still in our sins. If Christ had not been raised, we would not know that his death on the cross for sinners had fully satisfied the wrath of of God that we deserved. We wouldn't know that the judgment that stood awaiting us was taken away if Christ had not been raised. We could not have trusted in a dead Jesus Christ. If Jesus were still in the grave, we couldn't trust in him. And we could go even further than that. If not for the resurrection, Christ should not be trusted in and should not be followed if he's not raised from the dead. Because if he's not been raised from the dead, then he would be found to have borne false witness about himself. Because he testified that he had the authority to lay his life down, had the authority to take it up again. And if Jesus is not raised from the dead, we ought to turn away from him and never look back. A man who would make those kinds of claims about himself is dangerous and ought not be followed if those claims are not true. But again, the good news that we announce and rejoice in this morning 
is that all that Jesus has told us is true. That Jesus was dead, but that now he is risen from the dead, and by his resurrection he secures for us every blessing, everything that we need. It is thus on account of his resurrection that we are born again. At his resurrection he's declared to be the Son of God with power, and when we are born again through the resurrection of Christ, we are born again as the sons of God and adopted into the family of God, with Christ Jesus being our elder brother. And thus, from the life of the resurrection of Christ, spiritual life flows to us for our salvation, as we're born again and brought out of death and into life. On account of his resurrection, our souls are given new life even now, as we find in Ephesians chapter 2, that in his great mercy, God raised us from being dead in our transgressions, made us alive with Christ, even seated us with him in the heavenly places. And Paul says in Romans 5.10, that if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Christ died so as to reconcile us to God. And then, having been reconciled to God, we are also saved by his life. We were reconciled when we were enemies. And now that Christ is risen again, he is victorious over all of his foes. And in that resurrection life, he is ascended to the right hand of God the Father, where he sits as our high priest, ever living to make intercession for us. And so we are raised to new life with Christ and we are sustained in that new life because of Christ's resurrection. We're sustained because he is our high priest making intercession for us. And then we now await the culmination of the benefits that we receive from Christ's resurrection when our bodies will be raised at the return of Christ. As we find in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, that when the last trumpet sounds, the dead will be raised imperishable. As we sang earlier this morning, made like him, like him we rise. One writer put it well when he said, He laid down his life, but it was for us. And being to take up his own, he took up ours. We are the members of that body of which Christ is the head. And if the head be risen, the members cannot be far behind. He is the firstborn from the dead, and we the sons of the resurrection. We are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And as of now, our souls have been raised, and we await, in the meantime, the resurrection of our bodies. And that, this, in fact, is that second aspect of verse 3 that we need to consider, how it is that Christ's resurrection is the source of our hope. The living hope to which we are born again is the hope of eternal life, and connected with that, of course, is our own resurrection on the last day. And so Paul put it this way in Romans 8, 23 through 25, that we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. The point is that we've been born again. We have the, the first fruits of the Spirit even now within us. But now our salvation is not quite as full as it one day will be on that day when our bodies are redeemed. Here below, we groan. We know that good things are awaiting, that better things are awaiting us. But we have not yet partaken of those things. We've tasted the first fruits of them, but we do not have the full entire redemption. 
We're saved in this hope. This hope is certain and it is sure. It is a living hope. And we are confident that it will one day be a reality for us. And this confidence is ours. And only is this confidence ours because Christ has already been raised. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. He's the first and the best of the crop. He guarantees what is yet to come, that the rest of the harvest will likewise be brought in. And not only will we be raised like Christ, we will enter his eternal kingdom and receive what he has prepared to give us. We will be with him and will serve him forever in glory. This is our living hope. And Peter elaborates on this further in verse 4 when he speaks of the inheritance that belongs to believers. He says that this inheritance is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. This inheritance is glorious, it cannot die, and nothing and no one can can tarnish it. Nothing can cause it to fade. It is reserved in heaven for all who belong to Christ. God's gracious plan of salvation is such that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ while we are in this world. And nothing can harm our heavenly inheritance either. Both we and our inheritance are secure. And so, Christian friends, please understand the significance of what is contained here in verses 3 and 4 of 1 Peter chapter 1. We all deserve death and hell because of our sins. If God did not intervene by sending his Son into the world, if God did not intervene in our own hearts and our own lives by causing us to be born again, turning our naturally hard hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, we would be on the road to taking our portion in the lake of fire. Hell is our rightful inheritance. But, according to his great mercy, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has become our God and Father as well. He's done this in his great plan of salvation, a plan in which the Son of God came into the world to take our flesh upon him, to be made truly man, truly human, and he lived in the world and was fully obedient in all things to the Father, went to the cross suffered the agonizing death for his people. And in this, what God was doing was making him who knew no sin, our Lord Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, to be a sin offering for us, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. And being hung on a cross, as we find in the book of Galatians, this means that Christ was counted as a curse for us. Because it's written in Deuteronomy 21, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. God made Christ to be a curse for us so as to take upon himself the curse that we deserved because of our sins. He was laid in the grave and then three days later was raised. And after living on earth for 40 more days, he ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven. This is God's merciful plan to save a people for himself. This is... God's gracious plan in which he could maintain both his justice and also manifest his mercy. He maintains his justice in that sins are punished, punished in his son, and he manifests his mercy by showing mercy to sinners by means of Christ's death and resurrection. This is the gospel that we believe as Christians. This is the good news. And the good news that we proclaim as believers is what we find in 2 Corinthians 5.19. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And as the recipients of this gospel, then our lives are changed. We're not who we once were. Rather, we're 
We're born again. Though we were once without hope and without God in the world, that is no longer the case. And of course, this doesn't mean that life is easy and pleasant for us now. Often it is not. But it does mean that we can be confident of God's mercy here for the present and confident that our expectations for the future are solid because they're based upon the word of God. And we have the the down payment of the guarantee of Christ's resurrection. We have the working of the Holy Spirit within our hearts. This guarantees that our hope is living and that our inheritance is guaranteed. But in the meantime, life in the world can be a little bit rocky sometimes, can't it? It can be rocky for all of us. And this is where verse 5 comes in. As it states that we are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Though indeed we have great reason to praise God on account of the mercy that he has shown to us through the resurrection of Christ, nevertheless, life in this fallen world presents us with innumerable challenges. And really, this is what the letter of First Peter largely deals with is this very thing, how believers are to live in a sinful world as those who have been changed by the grace of God and are awaiting the fulfillment of the great and gracious promises of the gospel. The book of First Peter deals with the meanwhile, how to conduct themselves as strangers and sojourners here on this earth as they are distressed by various trials and persecutions. We are to conduct ourselves as exiles here, knowing that this world is not our home. Our home is above, where the inheritance is, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. But sometimes, in the midst of the grind, we wonder, wonder if we're ever going to make it there. Will we be able to hold on long enough? Will our faith outlast all of the evils that confront us? Or will we just be run into the ground along the way somewhere? Cave to the pressures of the day, capitulate, give up, throw it over our shoulders and never look back. We live in a world that is full of sin, full of sins that we commit, full of sins that others commit, either against us or against someone else. We live in a world that is full of suffering in which God permits both natural disasters and moral evils to occur. We live in a world that is full of sickness and death and disappointments. How are we ever going to be able to make it to the end of our journey? The inheritance is sure. How can we be sure that we ourselves will be there to get it? Those of us who have been truly born again to this living hope will make it to the end of the journey because, as we find in verse 5, we are kept by the power of God through faith for that salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In case you thought that you were insufficient to keep yourself on track, in case you thought that you were unable to persevere unto the end in your own strength, you were right. Absolutely right. You are insufficient. You are unable to persevere in your own strength. Left to your own resources, you would wear out, burn out, return to the world, give up, whatever, whatever you want to put in the blank, it would happen to you. But in his great mercy towards us, God not only begins the work of this great salvation within us, but he brings it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And verse 5 shows us how he does that very thing. He protects us by his power He protects us by his power by preserving us in faith. Faith, after all, is the gift of God. He gives it to us in the first place, and he sustains it to the end. And thus it is that our Lord Jesus in Hebrews 12, 2, is called the author and perfecter of our faith. 
faith is preserved and we are protected by the power of God and we are sustained until we take hold of this salvation finally and fully in the last time when we are raised and when we take our places at the right hand of our Lord Jesus Christ. This salvation is begun here. It's completed there in the life to come. Our experience here below is, is mixed, as, as we all know. We taste the joy of being born again. We know the joy of this living hope that is ours. But we also know what it is to be distressed by various trials. If our exposure here in this country to outright persecution is limited, at least for now, we at least know something of the ridicule of the world, at least by extension. We know what it is to be weak in faith. We know what it is to be discouraged a lot of things in our lives, to be discouraged by relationships with others, to be discouraged by various infirmities, be they sicknesses or our apparent lack of success in earthly endeavors, our sometimes apparent lack of success even in spiritual endeavors. Whatever spiritual treasure we have here on earth, we possess it, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, in an earthen vessel. And the reason for that is so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. It is His power that has worked salvation for us in Christ, and it is His power that sustains and keeps us to the end. We have nothing to boast about. It is all the grace of God. And so, Christian friend, be encouraged this morning. Remember, once again, the glorious resurrection of Christ, and remember also all of the blessings that flow from it. By the resurrection of Christ, we are born again. Christ died for our sins, and in him we die to our sins. They no longer condemn us. They no longer control us. We belong to a new master, to Christ, who rose again for us, and we also rise again through faith to a new life in him. This is what is pictured for us in baptism, as we find in Romans chapter 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. Just as Christ was raised, we too are raised to walk in this new life as believers, as those born again to a living hope. And now being in Christ... We're the recipients of this hope, this solid expectation of eternal joy in the new heavens and the new earth which await us in the presence of God. And as the people of God, we have the solid and sure expectation of entering into this inheritance of ours. Here below, we experience disappointments and failures and sins and sickness and sadness and even the sting of death. But in Christ, we have this living hope. Christ is he who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. We're awaiting that great and final day when it will be said, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. This, my friends, is our living hope, the promise of our future in the presence of God. This hope is guaranteed to us by the resurrection of Jesus. He purchased it for us, and the resurrection guarantees that he will bring it to pass. Jesus has control over death and eternity. And so he says in Revelation 1, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold... I am alive forevermore, 
and I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is in control of our future. What a blessing it is to have these promises given to us by our Lord who cannot lie and is never to die again. He's victorious over Satan and death and over our sins. And if you're here this morning and you have not trusted in Christ, I would like to invite you to do so this morning. I call upon you to believe this good news, to believe in Christ, to trust in Him for the forgiveness of your sins. I call on you to turn away from your sins and to turn to Christ and receive new life from Him today. If you are not born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God and you have no part in this inheritance which is imperishable and undeviled and unfading. You don't deserve that inheritance, and none of us do. You deserve judgment, and all of the rest of us do as well. But in His mercy, through the preaching of the gospel this morning, God offers you as Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I implore you, plead with you, trust in Christ today. And if you have more questions about this, you can talk to me after the service, talk to another Christian whom you know here. We would be delighted to tell you more. And Christian friend, for those who have trusted in Christ, be encouraged by the resurrection and live as those who are partakers in it, as those who have been raised up with Christ, seated with him in the heavenly places, which is exactly what happens in being born again. As those who are seated in the heavenly places, let's live as those who are partakers of the life of Christ. And so as Ephesians 4, 23 and 24 reminds us, let's learn to more and more to lay aside the old self which is corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And let us rather be renewed in the spirit of our minds and put on the new man, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. If I may borrow the language of the Book of Homilies of the Church of England, if ye delight in this article of our faith that Christ is risen again from death to life, then follow you the example of his resurrection. Apply yourselves, good friends, to live in Christ, that Christ may still live in you, whose favor and assistance, if ye have, then ye have everlasting life already within you, and nothing can hurt you. This, my friends, is what it means to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, in light of this and all that we have seen this morning, what else can we do but join with Peter in giving praise to God, saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who of his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. All praise and glory be to our great God. Please pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for this glorious truth of the resurrection, which we consider once again today. Father, we ask that the truth of the resurrection would not be merely a historical fact to us, but rather that it would be a living reality, that as Christ was raised from the dead, we would know that from that springs our own new life in you as well. And Lord, we ask for you the grace of your Holy Spirit that we would live each day that new life which is ours in Christ. Praise you that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Lord, let us live as the new. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.